Everyone's found uh, Mark 16 okay? And we're going to stand and read uh, verse 14 together. 14 through 17. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Please be seated. So over the last couple weeks, uh, we've been looking at an acronym that will help shape our ministry and carry out the vision of Genesis House um, that we kind of looked at at the beginning of the year. And I mentioned that all of us in this church need to strive for the top. We need to strive to be people who learn and know the truth of God's Word, and we spoke about the benefits of God's Word to us. We need to be those who strive to obey the truth of God's Word. And we gave four reasons as to why we would do that last week. Today we're going to talk about the power that's available in the Christian life. The power. What do I mean by power? Well, there's various ways in which Christians can exhibit power in their lives. We're not going to be talking about this morning the power of love to affect change. The power of God. That, God, that he has given us to defeat the controlling power of sin in us. We know what that's like when we, our flesh rages and wants to go a particular way and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, got a better choice for you. We all know that uh, urge. And God gives us the power to defeat that and to, to not have to be mastered by that. We also know the power of the gospel. As in Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now these are all various ways in which we can exhibit power. And they all have uh, deserved sermons in their own right. But to, this morning we're not going to be talking about that kind of power. I'm talking about the power to do the stuff we read about in the Bible. The power to do the stuff. What stuff? Heal the sick. Physically and emotionally. Take authority over demons. To pray in a way that changes the spiritual atmosphere of a city. To restore social order to areas marred by sin and evil. To be honest, and you know my journey, if I heard myself stand up at Genesis House about a year and a half ago and open it with an introduction like that, I would have a hard time preparing myself for the message. Truth be told. I would never have denied that the miracles that we see in the, in the New Testament, or even in the Old Testament for that matter, didn't happen today, didn't happen back then, or didn't happen today. But I would have attributed those to being more in other countries other than Western, the Western Hemisphere. Those are things that you'd see in Afghanistan, in China, in Iran, in North Korea, 
where persecution is rampant and the word of God is unavailable to the same degree as we have it. And to be honest with you, if you'd ask me why, I'd say, well, it's because of my experience. My experience has shown me that. But here's what's important. It would be my experience, but not the scriptures that would have convinced me of that. You see, as a result then, I, as well as many Christians, have come to the Bible with an anti-supernatural hermeneutic. Now, I steal that phrase from John Shades, who you all know well. Um, but an anti-supernatural hermeneutic. What do I mean by hermeneutic? It's the, basically the definition of interpretation. So I come to the Bible with an anti-supernatural interpretation, meaning what I saw back then was relevant for them, but it's not really relevant for us now in the Western Hemisphere. Well, what's been exciting for me over the last year and a half, and I'm sure for many of you as well, is that our mindset in our church has slowly changed, and we've seen the relevance of this for our people today. So the purpose today, although there's many aspects of power we can speak about, is to help you realize the power you carry and the authority that brings and how it pertains to our vision. So before we look at the power made available to us, let's start by looking at the life of Jesus. One thing that was evident in the life of Jesus and his ministry was that it contained one of power. Everywhere he went, he could exercise that authority. And so we see him having power this is, this is the Gospel of Mark alone. But look at the areas in which he exercised power and authority. Over the demonic world in Mark 1. Over sickness in Mark 1. Over sin in Mark 2. Over nature in Mark 4. And over death in Mark 5. Some might say, well of course he did that. He was God. In human form. Well, that is true, but we need to remember a couple things about the life and ministry of Jesus before we jump to conclusions as to why he could do the things that he did. We need to remember the source, uh, where the source of power came from for his ministry and the timing in which he received it. So we need to remember the source of where his power came from and the timing in which he received it. I'd like you all to turn with me to Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke 23, or Luke 3, I should say. Luke 3, 21 to 23. So let's read this together. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, saying, You are my Son, my beloved Son, and who in you I am well pleased. Next verse. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. Now there's two important observations in this text I want to make. First one is, without stating the obvious, is really that he didn't begin his ministry until he was 30. Until he was 30. We're going to see it in a minute from a uh, passage I'm going to quote in Matthew, that prior to this, 
His career was in carpentry. When I first got to know Mark uh, McMillan in the church, like I knew he was a jokester, but I didn't realize like how far it went. Because when I used to hear him talk to people, he'd always say, yeah, my best friend's a carpenter. And I was like, I wonder, I was thinking, well, I know Roger, like he's not a carpenter. And all these people, I'm thinking, who in the world is he talking about? And I expected to meet this carpenter friend one day. But as I got to know him more and more, I was like, of course he's referring to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was a little bit slow in the uptake, but I kept waiting for this mystery guy to show up that never showed up. So his best friend was a carpenter. Well, Jesus in his career prior to 30 was a carpenter. Which leads me to my second observation from the text. Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he received the Holy Spirit. Although he existed as God, he didn't heal any sick, cast out any demons, teach or preach a sermon until the Holy Spirit empowered him to do ministry. He waited for the Holy Spirit for the empowerment of ministry. So in the New Testament then makes this clear that the Holy Spirit was the source of his power. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit was the source of his power. Uh, turn to Luke 4 now in verse 16. Actually, 14. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee... This is after his temptation, by the way. So he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's gone to do battle with the devil in the wilderness. First thing in the first order. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And then he began teaching in all their synagogues and was praised by all. So he came in the power of the Spirit and then began teaching. Look at verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was custom, as his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now watch the ministry. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of the sight of the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In Matthew 12 and 28, Jesus cast out demons by the quote-unquote Spirit of God. In Peter's sermon to Cornelius, as he was preaching to the Gentiles, he, he summarizes Jesus' ministry this way in Acts chapter 10 and verse 37. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Jesus was fully God and fully man, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him did he start to operate in the Holy Spirit's power. If you were to hang out with Jesus then, prior to the age of 30, you would have noticed an obedient fellow who seems to always outdo you morally when it came to listening to your parents. <laughs> and you may have noticed he was a pretty skilled carpenter and didn't swear when he banged his thumb. But he would have lived an ordinary life to the average onlooker 
And we know this is true because of what was said about him in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13 and 54, if I can find it, it says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't, the carpenter's, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense to him. It's clear by this text that they think he's an ordinary guy. Morally probably not, but he's an ordinary guy. All this, like, in other words, how all of a sudden, after knowing this guy for 29 years, did he start teaching like this and start doing miracles like this? Isn't he just a regular guy with like a biological family? And no wonder they took offense at him, but I, I, the way I interpret this is they became jealous of him. He was just like one of us, like hanging out, and next thing you know, he's got this super ministry. Again, Jesus was fully God and fully human, and the, and, but yet he withheld that um, moving in his godness, if you will, until the Holy Spirit empowered him. Philippians chapter 2 and 5 through 11 makes this clear. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. He restricted the use of his divine attributes when they took on the form of a man, and he waited for the presence of the Holy Spirit before he did ministry. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, the same source of power that was in the life of Jesus Christ that empowered him to do his ministry is the same source of power made available to us. The Holy Spirit that empowered him is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. They're not two different spirits. It's one spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says it this way, And you were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I like the NLT. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom we promised long ago. There's not two different Holy Spirits when you receive Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior. The power that was available to Jesus to heal the sick, cast out demons, and so on and so forth was made available to you and I. Now I have a confession to make. I have struggled to believe this. I've struggled to believe this. I've read this before and read that he passed this on to the disciples as well. But I was like, still didn't really sink in. And so I began praying to the Lord to show me a confirming passage in the scriptures that would demonstrate that this was not only power given to us or to, to the Lord and the apostles, but to us as well. 
And then we read Mark 16, 14 to 18. Let's start at the second paragraph. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. It's really important because up to this point, I knew these passages to be speaking to the apostles. But now he's talking to the apostles, and he says, when you go on the world and preach the gospel, these signs will accompany those who believe. In other words, the converts. In my name, they, not you, but they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Jesus has given us the power and authority to bring the kingdom of God to our town, to our society, to our culture, to transform it. Unfortunately, we don't always realize how much power we have in the Holy Spirit and the significance of that the authority brings. Charles Crafts in his book said this, it's as if God has deposited a million dollars in a bank for us and we neither do not realize it or can't find the checkbook. John, as you know, who was with us, uh, was, has traveled the world uh, doing healing on the streets. And the healing on the streets ministry started with a man named Mark Marks in Coleraine, Ireland. While ministering on the streets, um, John told me that uh, Mark came up to him after an event and said, you won't believe like what happened this afternoon. And so John started to explain, or Mark started explaining to John what occurred. While ministering in Ireland, downtown in the city, a witch came up to Mark. And the first words out of her mouth weren't, how are you today? They were, you, don't, you Christians are so naive. And Mark was taken aback, and he goes, what, what do you mean? And the witch says, you don't understand the power you carry. We spend so much time, weeks, months, putting curses on things, trees, crosswalks, you name it. And you just walk by and undo everything we do in an instant. You don't get the power you carry. Here's a non-Christian woman going up to Mark in the middle of the street and saying and basically reprimanding him for being quote-unquote naive and as the power that they carried that he carried she understood the authority in which he stood Charles Kraft in his book he says this As Christians, we have no choice as to whether or not we possess this authority. It is part of the package given to us with the Holy Spirit. Our only choice is whether we learn how to use this authority and whether we actually make use of it. Here's one of the important things though. The power and the authority that we've been given comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ and not through a formula. The power we receive 
is it comes through a relationship and not through a formula. What do you mean by formula versus relationship? Please turn with me to Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. Acts 19 and verse 11. Acts 19.11. So Paul and his friends are in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. You can still see the ruins from the temples and stuff in Ephesus today, if you want to go on a tour of the, in, in that area. We looked at Ephesus in our study of Revelation. But uh, he's in Ephesus, and uh, some pretty crazy things are happening in verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. So again, this is pretty crazy, uh, pretty extraordinary things happening. Now here's what's important in verse 13. We find out that some Jewish, Jewish exorcists, later on we find out our priests, are going around at the same time doing trying to do miracles of their own. So let's look at their method. <laughs> in verse 13, uh, all, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So what we can gather from this text then is they must have heard Paul's um, message and seen his ministry methods. Paul must have been obviously going around and casting out demons in the name of Christ. These Jewish exorcists, who were religious folks, by the way, like they're priests of a church, if you will, right? They're, they're religious people, know the Old Testament, uh, claim to be followers of God. They hear what Paul's doing, but Jews typically have rejected the Messiah. They don't believe that he's, uh, he's who he claims he is. They're still waiting for him. But they hear the name of Jesus and see the results of Paul's ministry, so they think, I'm going to use Jesus' name. So they're going around trying to cast out evil spirits in the same methodology as Paul, using Jesus' name. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now let's look at the results of their ministry. 14. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. It's funny, in all the church plays I've seen and heard about, no one's ever done this one. Who wants to volunteer to be the naked guy that runs out of the, of the play? But notice what happened here. Why did the seven sons of the Jewish priest get overpowered and defeated by the man possessed by the demon? Demonized. Yet, they named his name. They named Jesus' name. Because the power was not in the formula of just naming Jesus' name. <laughs> it was in the relationship that, had, that Paul had with Jesus Christ. 
There was intimacy. There was a relationship with Christ. And that led to the victory in, his, in the way the miracles are manifested. Because there was no relationship of the Jewish priests, there was therefore no power and no authority. And the demons had no obligation to obey them, even though they named the name of Jesus. Does that speak to you? See, the authority that we have is not based on our education, based on our wealth, based on our physical strength, how religious we are. You could be the priest of a church. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you carry no authority and power in God's realm. An 80-year-old grandmother with a walker has more authority over the demonic world than the U.S. Navy SEAL team all assembled at the beach. Unless, of course, they also know the Lord Jesus themselves. So why is this important? As we look at our model for this year, we've talked about being an internally focused church where we focus on the preaching of the word, the prayer lives of our church, and the healing that can come through that to transform everyone on an individual basis. It's through the Holy Spirit power that we are given these gifts to edify each other and to strengthen our community. I want to read from you from 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 7. But each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit of, for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to prophecy, and so on. Later on in chapter 14, he makes this declaration in verse uh, 12. He says, um, So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound these for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body of the church. In verse 26, he says the same thing. Let all things be done for edification. The reason why the Lord gives us these gifts, the gifts of miracles and healings and so on, is for to build one another up. We saw more things happen in 2022 than we have in our entire nine years of ministry. More people in this church can speak in tongues now in the last year than nine years put together. More miracles have affected in this church in the last year than in the, in the full nine in the last nine. And what was amazing is I've never seen this church stronger in its life than what happened during after the summer and going into this year. We are the healthiest we've ever been. The, the, the pursuit of the Holy Spirit and His affecting His power and moving in our church has brought our church closer together and stronger than it has been in a decade. It's a fulfillment of what is being spoken about in Corinthians. Now, again, these gifts alone mean nothing without love. We mean nothing without love. But again, there might be issues here and there, but our church has never been accused of being an unloving church in terms of a, the general description of it. I do believe that we operate in love. But God gives us these things 
for the benefit of the community to strengthen and build each other up. How about in the area of external, externally focused church ministry? Well, again, in terms of outreach, we believe that the Lord can move in these ways to bring salvation to people. The preaching of the Word of God is sufficient on its own to bring people to salvation. There is no doubt about it. Never deny the power of the, of the gospel. But the Lord, we can't deny also that the Lord used miracles all throughout the Bible to get a hold of people and to wake something up in them. To show them that God was, did exist or does exist and is there to speak to them. Steve Elliott uh, is a pastor and a, and a professor I know out of New Brunswick. And he wrote a book um, about this subject matter. And he studied the identifying markers around whenever he heard the word in the Bible or the phrase, they put their faith in him or they believed in him or they followed him. When he went through and did all the homework, he, there was three levels, like on, a, on like a pyramid. Level one, level two, level three. And the level one was obviously founded in God's grace and his mercy and so on and so forth. Level two was things like prayer and fasting and people who are available to be used by God. But on the third level, when he looked at everything, 50% of the conversions in the New Testament had identifying miracles that occurred along with the preaching of the gospel. 50% had identifying miracles accompanying them. But again, not that that's a necessity. The gospel is powerful enough in and of itself. But we can't deny the reality that the miracles drew crowds, broke spiritual apathy, affirmed God's existence, and propelled faith in Jesus Christ. So again, we have to be willing to take risks and pray for people as we encounter them. Believe that you have the power and authority to change the spiritual atmosphere of this community through your prayer. Not because you are anything special, just like I'm not anything special, it's because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The same Spirit that lived in Jesus Christ empowered Him for ministry empowers us to. And so we can believe that through our prayers for people that the Holy Spirit can, can break emotional bondage, can restore physical damage, can heal scars, can heal wounds, can change the atmosphere of a city and a town. We, we believe that. We need to operate in those ways. Take risks and pray like crazy. Engage with people. Minister to them. So I have three lessons for you today. And these are them. The Holy Spirit that indwelt and empowered Jesus for ministry is the same Holy Spirit that indwells and empowers us. Luke 3, 21 to 23. Luke 4, 14 to 19. And Ephesians 1, 13. It's the same Holy Spirit. We're not dealing with two separate Holy Spirits here. Number two. Jesus has given us the authority to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick and to cast out demons and so on. Mark 16, 14 to 18. And finally, the power we carry is founded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a formula. So if you don't know the Lord this morning, I appeal to you I appeal to you, 
to surrender your life to him. Let the indwelling of the Holy Spirit take control and power over your life. All we have to do is confess our sins, thank Him for forgiving us for those sins, and then surrender our lives willingly to Him, realizing that we want His best for us and His way of life over and above our own. Okay, well, let's close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the morning. Um, we just really appreciated um, those on the worship team and preparing our hearts to receive your word. And we now thank you for your word and how it speaks to us today. We pray, Lord, that everyone will walk out of here encouraged and strengthened and with a desire to know you more and to walk in truth more, to obey you more, and to believe that you can still act today. We ask, Lord, that our church become a, a church of risk-takers and that we seek to bring your Holy Spirit's power to this community to transform it, both on an individual basis and on a community basis. Give us opportunities, and we look forward to how you're going to act in the future. Amen.